In this episode, we speak with Andy Byrne, CEO and co-founder of Clary. Clary is a platform that uses AI and machine learning to support sales teams by integrating with their existing CRM systems. Thousands of sales, marketing, and customer success teams at leading companies, including Okta, Adobe, Workday, Zoom, and Finastra, use Clary's execution insights to make their revenue process more connected, efficient, and predictable. The company is backed by Blackstone, Silver Lake, Sapphire Ventures, Tanaya, Bain Capital, Sequoia, and other notable investors. Prior to Clary, Byrne was founding executive at Clearwell, which he helped grow from pre-product and pre-revenue in 2005 to an 80 million annual revenue run rate until its acquisition by Symantec in 2011. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you liked the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Great to be here, RJ. Thank you. So really excited to dive into Clary. I mean, obviously, you've raised a lot of money. You've been scaling quickly. You've been there for over a decade, I believe. Maybe what we could do is hear about the use case you think best exemplifies the value proposition to clients. Yeah, I guess from a use case standpoint, how customers think about what they're trying to solve. Maybe we can start with the problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem that the industry is focused on is what's called revenue leak. And revenue leak is the revenue that companies have already earned, but they've yet to capture. Most of our customers, they've achieved product market fit and go-to-market fit, and they've created a revenue engine. They've hired the CRO. They've hired a head of RevOps. And they've built this engine, scalable, quota-carrying, reps in the field, but they're leaking revenue. And they don't know where they're leaking revenue. And examples of revenue leak are leads that never get touched, targets that go stale, deals that are slipping and they don't know why they're slipping, deals that are closed loss to the competition. And they really don't know why they're losing conversion rates that used to be 25% and now they're at 23% and they don't know why. So these are all examples of what the industry calls revenue leak, and it's the biggest problem in the industry. Boston Consulting Group did a report that just came out at the end of last year, suggesting that $2 trillion worth of economic destruction is happening due to revenue leak. At Clary, we have what's called Clary Labs, which is our internal ML and data science teams. And they, across all of these different companies that are out there that are largely B2B companies, RJ, we have found that up to 15% of a company's revenue is lost due to revenue leak. So that's the problem. So how do you solve that problem? Getting to a specific use case is where, imagine you're a manager, you have 10 reps, those reps each have 10 deals, that's 100 deals. Where do you spend your time? Where do you figure out where you have risk, where you have upside? That typically before Clary used to take an entire weekend to figure out where is that first line manager going to spend their time to figure out how they can be most effective. 
they didn't know how to do that very well. And what would happen is deals would slip and they didn't do a really good job figuring out where they could spend time to convert deals to close. What Clary does is our platform, our revenue platform, is analyzing all of these various activities and signals that could impact those 100 deals that that manager needs to find out, hey, where do I have risk? Where do I have exposure? And we automatically surface up through using machine learning and generative AI, the risk and the opportunities for that manager to do their best work, to spend time on the right deals with the right reps in whatever region or whatever products that they're selling that allows them to drive higher conversions that equals higher revenue over time. That's very helpful. Points of clarification. One is it seems like in order for Clary to be effective, it needs data to yeah. run on. So yeah. is there a size of organization that your solution is most relevant for? Meaning there's probably a threshold. If you're a small company or smallish company, you may not need Clary. You know, I thought that was going to be the case when I started the company. I thought, hey, this is going to be a big company problem, but we're surprised at the amount of smaller mid-market companies that just have 15 or 20 sales reps. And, you know, they've only been in market and have achieving go-to-market fit and product fit for only six months. But having just six months of data, handful of quarters, and having a handful of reps allows our training set that we create from that to be able to accurately predict, are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue within one to two percentage points of where they're actually going to land, which you know, is really important for those young CROs, those young head of sales that want to be data-driven, yet they don't have the tool set to do it. The other thing I want to bring up is you mentioned data. Mm -hmm. As we know, there's a huge arc of a trend for professionals, direct correlation between their effectiveness tied to how data-driven they are in their decisions and where they spend time. The interesting thing is that these customers have data all over the place. Whether you're a small company or a large company, you've got data in email, you've got data in contracts, you got data in attachments, you've got relationship data that you can find building a graph off of who's talking to who. You've got lots of conversational intelligence data that's found in meetings that are being recorded. And of course, you've got data that's sitting in a CRM where you can see the human interactions of what the reps are doing in that CRM opportunity amount, the stage that's changing, et cetera. Now, these are all data that's sitting in separate databases. Mm -hmm. What we do is we aggregate all of that into a revenue database. Customers, they have a CRM database. They've got an ERP database. They have a marketing database, but they don't have a revenue database, which is kind of crazy because revenue is the most important business process in their company. So we bring in what's called RevDB and we consolidate all of that data. We normalize it. We historically snapshot it. We correlate and having that type of technical infrastructure that underpins how a CRO would run revenue is really the big move that's happening inside of the customer. They have a new database. It's purpose built from the ground up to run revenue. They deploy new experiences. Reps are closing deals faster. Managers are driving more revenue. 
execs are boosting the predictability and accuracy of their forecasts. And at the end of the day, if you rise up, what's the value? We're driving more efficiency, more growth, more predictability, getting people into the ability to have a purpose-built, designed, beat and raise cadence. Now, you mentioned CRM data. Obviously, what comes to mind is Salesforce. I imagine there is frequent plugins or interplay between your solution and Salesforce. Is that right? Yeah, I think any CRM that we work with, they generally in the industry, I think what's changed versus, you know, our bet 10 years ago was that the APIs would change because the customers wanted access to all of their data. If you buy a system and you want to use any type of system that's a cloud-based system and you're producing data within that system, the customer naturally should say, I want to be able to get to that data as soon as I possibly can. So that caused a proliferation of APIs, right? And the access to interconnect with all of that data. I think what the customer was missing is this ability to normalize it all into a purpose-built data store that connects to an application query layer that's aligned to a user experience that's purpose-built to allow revenue teams to run what we call the 13-week cadence, right? It's really important for people to understand that you don't have to be in what the industry calls the three-headed hydra. They're in a CRM and the CRM doesn't do exactly what they want it to do. So RJ, they go and they say, I need to export this stuff into an Excel and I need to do it on my own because my workflows are different. So you get to what the industry calls Excel hell, rep, manager, regional lead, geo lead, all the way up to the CRO. There's Excel all over the place being passed over through email. And then finally, Excel breaks when you're trying to do large pivot tables. So they say, let's get IT and let's bring in Power BI or Tableau or Domo. And if you think about these three different interfaces and the poor customer, it's not their fault. The fact that they have to bounce in and out of these interfaces to run the 13-week cadence, right? Every meeting of every day, of every week, of every month. How do we run current quarter and next quarter? It's so painful for them, but it's not their fault. So we solve that pain and that problem area, and we eliminate that three-headed hydra. We bring them into a new system. They get their lives back. They can run the 13-week cadence like they wanted to in one interface that allows them to drive what we call revenue collaboration, to run it across all of their teams, not just sales, but marketing, pre-sales, finance, and post-sales. And what the industry is now calling revenue governance, how do you control the behaviors, the accountability, the alignment, and the outcomes so you can have what the customers are really looking for is going from pervasive leak to total revenue precision. And that's what's happening in the industry. Now, I presume that you're using your own solution and that has enabled you to scale your revenues fairly quickly? Customer zero, we call it. Yes. You know, much to the chagrin of my R&D team, I'm the most active user of our system. It pains them when I see something I don't like. But yes, for me as a user, as a business user, I get a lot of gratification on it when I feel like, oh my God, this has changed my life. You can talk about the amount of money that's been raised and how great our growth rates are and the fact that we're coming up on over 1,500 customers, most of them large enterprise like Adobe and HP and Sodexo and 
excited that CNBC just dropped their recent jobs report just a handful of months ago. The fastest growing job in the United States is revenue operations. There's 500,000 jobs on LinkedIn. That role did not exist. The RevOps category didn't exist before we started the company. That's all great. But for me, it's more about where I get excitement is changing the lives of the users that use the application. From the sales rep that's trying to figure out, I've got all this inventory of targets. Where should I spend my time? Who should I call? What should I say? And making their jobs easier, converting more revenue to the technical RevOps manager who's saying, we're going to move from a subscription model to a consumption model. And that's a whole new motion for us. And I need to use Clary Studio to create new views, to then move from an opportunity object to an account object. And I need to deploy this. And I don't want to have to call some professional services team and sign some big SOW. We changed their life because they become the revenue architects using our platform to be able to allow them to really design, test, and then deploy a new system or a new motion because they're either moving to a consumption model or they're buying a company and they got a new product line or they're opening up a new region in EMEA or maybe they're going up market and they're creating a new segment. All of that suggests you need a ton of flexibility and configurability, not at just at your database level, but at a user config level. And that's done through what we call Clary Studio. So I love the fact that we are changing the lives of these people and just making it easier. And they're at the end of the day, realizing their fullest potential, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it seems like your solution is applicable to almost any sales organization across sectors. Are there certain sectors that are more prevalent, you know, who are users of your solution? And how has the client mix evolved over time? Yeah, what I'd say is that we don't sell the customers that are selling to the consumers. Mm -hmm. It's generally companies that are in a B2B motion. You know, if I think about the sectors where we're strong, we're strong in business services. You know, Sodexo is a good example of that. It's a multi-billion dollar business services company, healthcare life sciences. Perkin Elmer is a great example of that. Singular Genomics. Financial services and manufacturing are also large verticals. It really is around the companies that are looking to sell their products to other businesses. Right. Now, moving over into the kind of investor part of the conversation, you know, we're yeah. premised on growth investing, and yeah. you've got an impressive set of investors in Blackstone, Silver Lake, Sequoia, et cetera. Tell us about the value that they've helped bring to the table aside from the financial capital. Yeah, I feel like I'm the luckiest CEO on the planet. If you look at the background of the board from Jim Getz at Sequoia to Stephanie Buscemi, who's the former CMO at Salesforce, to Steve Singh, who's founder and CEO of Concur Software that was sold to SAP, to Silver Lake and Blackstone. What I'd say is that they are great operators, investors, and great human beings. As I looked to curate the level of investor, I thought about the human side of it in the person as well. And to answer your question specifically is you're always going to get the commentary around, well, they helped me with hiring. They helped me with go to market. Uh, they helped me raise more capital. 
But for me, it's the nuance value that people don't really fully appreciate and the access I have to our investors. So what I'd say, if I was described in general, my investors, they are always on. I can text or call them 24 by 7. They're incredibly responsive. And what I'd say is that they push our thinking. So I'd say that they're always available. They're aggressively questioning and pushing our thinking because most of them have been operators before. I know it's going to sound maybe to the audience unorthodox, but they're good therapists, you know, because it's not all up and to the right for the entrepreneur and the operator. And when things go bad and, you know, over the course of a 10-year time horizon, we've had a lot of moments that were wonderful and a lot of moments that are not. They've just been incredible in terms of being there for the entrepreneur, sharing their war stories, giving us space to be able to regroup, giving us space to think strategically and plan and execute. And I think that's been a big part of our success is their contribution. I'd leverage the hell out of them. And if you look at the level of investor, I've got a fairly large board and people will always say, oh man, Andy, how do you manage all that? I mean, all the the information requests and the questions that come through. And don't you want to slim down your board to make it less arduous on you? And actually, I think about it the exact opposite way is that I have got these scheduled times with them. And I always have a set of running topics with my e-staff that is what board members are we talking to this week? Who are they? What's their superpower? And what topics do we want to push? and get them to debate with us that will stimulate better think and better execution. And if you do that between board meetings with your brain power that's on the board, you just get so much value out of them, RJ. It's interesting because through this podcast, I talk to a lot of CEOs, and then there's no shortage of content. When you are simply watching CNBC or, or Bloomberg, you see a lot of CEO interviews. And you try to think, what makes this CEO more effective than another? And you've done a great job and you reference maybe the challenging times that you've had over the 10-year period. Yeah. But are there one or two insights when you reflect back on the journey that think really helped you succeed over time? Yeah, if I was to give you one word and I had to pick one word, it's culture. And if I was to pick another word, it's people. All these companies, they have some of the smartest people in the world sit on these boards, some of the smartest investors in the world, smartest entrepreneurs and went to the top schools and all that stuff. It's an elite class of professionals that generally build pretty interesting business plans and are innovative thinkers. None of that helps when you're going through the ups and downs of a startup. And a lot of people don't talk about the downs on all these podcasts, you'll hear you know, about all the things that are going right. And over a decade, what I'd say is that if you build the right culture and it comes from the top, you can outlast A, challenging times, and B, the competition, and C, tough markets. A lot of people feel like we're in a, a tough economic time. We're, we're not experiencing any sort of toughness, but that's what I'd say. I'd say culture will eat execution and strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And have you found you've been able to retain 
that your turnover is low compared to others in the industry? I don't know the actual statistics of it, but I do know that our turnover rate relative to others is extremely low. If I look at all of the engagement data that we have that's coming out of the company relative to our peers, it's very high. I don't I want to say that we're better than all the companies out there, but I would say I'm very proud of where we're at. And, you know, at the end of the day, my job as a CEO, my number one job is to create an environment where the employees could realize their fullest potential and they can love what they do. There's a huge opportunity for CEOs and investors and boards to shine a light on that and to see how well the CEOs are doing building that part of the business. Mm -hmm. We're coming up on time. I have two questions I'd like to close with. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound impact on you? Oh, let's see. I mean, there's a lot. You know, see, if I was to pick one person right now that comes to mind, I would say that I think about a lot recently. It's my brother who passed away a handful of years ago due to suicide. And I think about him every day. And I am inspired by him every day. He was my best friend. And he was my older brother. He's my role model. I always looked up to him and I always felt like he held the bar so high. His integrity, his work ethic, his empathy for people. I got this little marble that my cousin had given me that has a heart on it and has a clover on it that she gave to me during the service. I had to go up and speak to the audience. And she said, you got this. This is your superpower. This is going to help you. So I, I touch it every day. I give it a little kiss. And I speak to him and I say, you know, here's what's going on. And I think you'd be proud of what I've done. So that's one person that inspires me every day. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Last question is, can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah. I mean, a cause that I love to bring up is something that my wife's highly involved in. It's called Rise Against Hunger. And there's a lot of things that we're involved in at Clary. We've got what's called Clary Cares, which is our nonprofit side of what we do, where we're giving back, we're cleaning up the oceans, we are doing stuff for the homeless in downtown San Jose. There's just a huge amount of momentum there that's run by this woman, Elizabeth Halden, who runs the crew Clary Cares. But my wife is involved in Rise Against Hunger, which is an organization that is I don't know if there's a chance to, you know, share the web link and absolutely uh, I'd love to do that. And, you know, it's profound in terms of, you know, the amount of hunger that's going on in the world and these small organizations that are making an outsized impact. That's one of them. And I'd love to be able to have the audience take a look and maybe they can get involved with Rise Against Hunger. And yeah, they're doing amazing things for people in the world. We'll make sure to attach the link to the notes. Andy, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And I know our audience will as well. Thank you. RJ, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it.